Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various aspects of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane. And I'm Rob King. No, you're not. Professor of philosophy at some school. (laughs) That is incorrect. That is incorrect. What are we getting into today? Rob, I didn't know you wrote uh, so many books on free will. I did not. The significance of free will, uh, the four views of free will. I did not. Rick's been Googling my name, and this is what's come up. (laughs) Hey, enjoy the episode today. We are talking about penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, to shorten it up, we're talking about how Christ has atoned for our sin and how that's vital to our faith. Yep, we're looking at what it means, and we're looking at some folks who denied it. I probably butchered the name, and then we'll also check out some verses. So enjoy. yard projects they're coming along for you yeah we did some mulch um some mulching this past weekend big shout out to june he came over and, and helped with hey, that june. that was a huge help um that guy's awesome but then um got a bunch of that done working on finishing that path because you know how that path in our front yard doesn't quite reach yes. the driveway we are working on finishing that and trying to do some stuff in the backyard as well but yeah, yeah. it's going all right hey there you go how's it how's it at the gromlick Manor. Gravelly Manor. Well, uh, good. I cut the grass yesterday, yesterday evening, got home from work, cut the grass, um, which, so I don't have a whole, I don't have a huge, like, lot. We live in town, but, um, like, last spring I put up a, a, a fence in the backyard, added a swing set, we have a trampoline, and, like, every time you're adding st- stuff that you would like, mow around, we whack around, it just adds layers to the whole process that yeah, kind that, of frustrate me. It is frustrating. Um, and we also have part of our backyard. This is a super exciting conversation. Part of our backyard <laughs> that has like a bunch of like, it's just messed up. And I was talking with Candace like, okay, do I go back and till the whole section and, and grade it out or do I just bring dirt in to level it out? I don't know what to do, but I'm frustrated by it. I don't want to do anything. Right. I don't want it fixed. But anyway, all that aside, um, it's been a good week for, for me. I had the very distinct high honor and privilege of preaching this past Sunday at um, Emmanuel Baptist Church, <laughs> that Citizens Church, um, at Rob's Church. So it was a, a blessing and an honor, truly, for for me to just go there and to visit with the people. Um, dude, be amongst the people. the people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of that ivory tower, you know. Yeah, come come down from <laughs> Mount Vernon, <laughs> down from the ivory tower uh-huh. of Knox County. Um, but it was a really good time. Met a lot of great people. Um, felt very um, warm and accommodating. Um, side note, I totally forgot about this, Rob. But What's that? I had a dream last night. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know if I should go this makes into radio. all this. Yeah. I had a dream last night that you and I played in a church. And it was a, <laughs> it was a train wreck. <laughs> no joke. Like, I literally woke up. My alarm went off, like, pulling me out of sleep. And I was just, like, felt the anxiety, like, in my blood. Oh, um, man. Dude, it was like, no, here's the thing. It was like a complete, like, heretical um, oh, situation. It was all, like, um, about as far as consumeristic and... Um, uh, makes like, me want to vomit. Like just whole like event Bethel Ugh. Hillsong, like it was just out there. So we went wacky. 
oh, we went crazy. And then literally like I I was in the, this is the dream. We're in the, like the gathering space and there's like lights and fog machines and lasers. Of course there's a fog machine. And of course people, there are lasers. Like, the people who were like leading worship stuff, we were out to dinner with the night before and just, just like, like, I mean, it's like wicked people. And I'm like, why are they leading worship? These people aren't even Christians. And someone like turned on the, the fire hydrants sprinkler system to like add to the effect of something. And I just, I lost it. I like start screaming. I came unglued, which has never happened ever in my life. Like as an adult, I just freak out. I'm yelling right everyone to get out of the place. I like, we had like a whole like DJ, like stand thing with, and like flip all the soundboards over and like kick everyone out. You, so you were flipping tables in God's house. Dude, I was, I don't know what happened, but I was just like. <laughs> Became a place of commerce. <laughs> event center. <laughs> it was, it was totally a terrible Oh thing. my, that's But yeah, well, you know, you wake up with a dream that's just like, you're, you're, um, like you just feel like the emotion of the dream still. Like, oh yeah. Like it, I went downstairs, took a shower, I was brushing my teeth and I'm like, I still feel <laughs> anxious from that dream. <laughs> Wow. Or I'm sorry you really. experienced that, man. I'm sorry that I went wacky. But that was not my experience at all. That's Sunday. good. That's um, good. Candace and I, the boys, just thoroughly enjoyed our time. Um, quite the opposite of. Quite the opposite a of consumeristic that. attractional. So. <laughs> Nothing there is attractive. <laughs> um. The gospel. Uh, That's right. God's gospel formed people. It was good. It was really, really good. So thank you for having us. And um, thank you to all the people of Citizens Church for a beautiful um bible man this is a great you guys gave me a great bible i yeah. love it we value the word man appreciate you preaching it to us and giving us uh, uh yeah wonderful thanks to the, the good people at the csb and um what what uh there's a special name for this bible skyler skyler yeah thank you yes. quintel yeah that's it skyler quintel oh man now is yep. that is that a uh, like another company or is that like just their the model or whatever uh no so it's evangelical bible um i think they're like the only distributor or they own skylar or something like that but uh yeah i don't know if skylar like skylar doesn't have its own website or anything like that it's on evangelicalbible.com okay yeah gotcha so it's kind of like never mind i was gonna use like a car analogy but that i might have been inaccurate so i'm not gonna jump into that all right Rob. Well, what we should jump into let's jump is our topic yes. which, which 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 is a really encouraging one. Um, actually, it is. It is an encouraging it is, one. Yeah. But it's a very controversial one. So we're talking about penal substitution. Penal substitutionary atonement, I should mm -hmm. say. So, yes. Um, quick definition. Uh, this is based out of Grudem's Systematic Theology. It's the view that Christ in his death bore the just penalty of God for our sins as a substitute for us. So that mm -hmm. Christ in his death bore the just penalty of God for our sins as a substitute for us. So essentially saying that Jesus paid our punishment. He stood in our place. And so he bore our punishment. That's the penal aspect. He stood in our place. That's a substitutionary aspect. He uh, substituted for us and he atoned for our sins. There's the atonement aspect. So penal substitutionary atonement. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by LifeJournal. LifeJournal is a 90-day planner and journal to help you organize your day, accomplish your goals, and grow in your faith. And the thing that I love about LifeJournal is that, as you guys know, I also work full-time outside of the church. 
So this journal is put together really well, very sturdy, and it looks really sharp. So I can walk into any business meeting with this journal and feel good about opening up and taking notes. And then in addition to that, it also is able to gear your day toward keeping the gospel at the forefront of your mind. It's got a section each day, what I'm thankful for, uh, what scripture did I read, what did I learn here, what was new, how will I use this today, and then it has a gospel connection. How did this reveal the gospel or point myself or others to Christ. So it's not only a productivity journal, it's got your top three, it's got a spot for notes, it's got a spot to track your five foundations and daily goals, but it also brings it all back to the most important thing, the gospel. So we heartily endorse the gospel-focused life journal, and if you want to learn more, go over to gospelfocused.com. Again, that's gospelfocused.com. That's good. Thanks. Um, I like how you broke that down. And, and before we dive into um, some kind of different thoughts on it, tell us a little bit more, like that you're saying this is a divisive issue. Yeah. Right? It, it's not really that divisive for Orthodox, uh, I don't mean like yeah. no, you capital don't mean, Orthodox, I mean like exactly. Christians, like historical yep. Bible-believing Christians, this has not been an issue. Yeah, exactly. Orthodox just being a fancy way of saying faithful believing or faithful right. beliefs. So yeah, those Christians who have believed what the scriptures have said um, in a faithful way, therefore Orthodox, um, we, we would say, yeah, like this has not been an issue. Um, there has been some recent controversy about it because it, it feels like it is not consistent with God's love. And we'll talk about mm -hmm. a couple of the advocates mm -hmm. for that. Um, and then there's also... Um, I was just actually listening to a, a Greek Orthodox podcast um, that a friend of mine sent oh, me. Converting, I see. No, yeah, a friend of mine sent it to me, and, and he it was just kind of a, a talking point for us to discuss. And they were advocating a position against penal substitutionary atonement, um, and more so talking about um, rather than using the word atonement, using it as covering. Which um, I wouldn't be opposed to saying necessarily that our sins were covered. Um, but I think they were going a little bit further down, and I may even have to listen to it again to further understand their argument. But yeah, so there are different streams that would disagree with this for different reasons. But if yes. we take a look at the text and let the scripture be the final arbiter of truth, then um, we we see it pretty clearly throughout the scriptures. And so therefore, throughout the course of church history, this has not really been um, a huge stumbling yeah. block. Yeah, exactly. For those who embrace um, the faith once delivered. Yeah. And I would say, um, so one of the things as, as Protestants that we're kind of a weak area, if I could say it that way for us is just in a broad, a broad thing to say, but a weak area for us is our understanding and our use of church history. So whereas Catholics, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox draw a lot from church history and we would say um lovingly but graciously they draw they draw a lot incorrectly from mm -hmm. church history protestants have kind of held to the solo scripture like scripture alone so i'm not worried about what what the church fathers said i'm worried about what jesus said in the gospel of john or whatever yeah and um, it's not that we don't value what the church right. father says to said um it's just if the church fathers being man if they said something that is not consistent with the scriptures, then we default to the scriptures. 
And so right. it, it's not so low scriptura in that we don't take into account any tradition or anything that um, historical theologians or even church fathers have said. Mm -hmm. It's that all of them have to submit themselves to scripture. Right. But with Protestants being sola scriptura, again, there has been for the last few hundred years kind of a neglect, I would say, by Protestants to study church history, understand it. Hmm. Yeah, and so they've kind point. of abdicated somewhat that territory to the Roman Catholics and the Greek Orthodox. So then the Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholics say, well, you guys don't understand church history. If you understood church history, then you would be Catholic or Greek mm -hmm. Orthodox. And the irony there is Catholics and Greeks Orthodox are separate. So they yep. both have claimed to have a robust understanding of church history, saying if you understood church history, you'd be like us, but they are then still divided for the last almost a thousand years. Yep. Um, and then it's the Roman Catholic view of tradition versus the Eastern Orthodox view exactly. of tradition. And who's to say which tradition is right? And you, then you have to go to the scriptures and the Protestants are over there saying, yeah, we actually say you do have to go to the scriptures. <laughs> well, let's to go the to table. one. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah, to have you. Exactly. Cool. Um, so yeah, so let's continue here. So when it comes to the idea of penal substitutionary atonement, before we hop into some of the um, some of the folks who would say otherwise, it's also good to know that this can also be um, known as vicarious atonement. So the view of the atonement, this is what Grudem says in his systematic, the view of the atonement is sometimes called the theory of vicarious atonement. A vicar is someone who stands in the place of another or who represents another. Christ's death was therefore vicarious because he stood in our place and represented us. As a representative, he took the penalty we deserve. And you can see this in, in Romans 5, where it talks about your representative or our federal head, so to speak, is either Adam, we're either represented by him, or we're represented by the last Adam, Christ. And so... Yeah. The whole faith is broken down to two groups. Um, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? You have one of two representatives. Which one is it going to be? And if your representative is Christ, then you therefore are embracing this idea that he stood in your place and represents you. And therefore, you have penal substitutionary atonement. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to jump in before we get too far in and just say we... Our podcast is Simple Theology, and the we're using this big, long, three-word thing, penal substitutionary atonement. Um, but what we're saying is, it, it's the message of the part of the gospel is you've been separated from God because you're sinful and God's holy. And it is because of Christ's death for your sin that you can be reconciled to God. Yep. And that's it. That is that is what we're talking about yep. with uh, the penal substitutionary atonement, and it's really important. This is like critical to our faith. And so, if you're like, "Ah, man, this is getting a little deep for me today," I don't know. Uh, it doesn't sound like simple theology. It really is pretty simple, even though there's some big words that we're using. It's simple, and it's really important that we hold to it. Yeah, that, that's really good because essentially, just to um, add to what you said there, that. Clarify uh, my clarification, bro. No, no, no. I, I no, love what you do. said there. It's really good. Um, it was like us, what we bring to the table is sin and what Christ brings to the table is righteousness. But it's not just that we need our sin removed in order to be, right. in order to enter into God's presence. We also need a perfect righteousness. 
And so Jesus lacking sin, but having the perfect righteousness and us lacking righteousness, but having sin, he, he has everything that we need in order to, to be in there. So we need someone to represent us and the whole, you read through Ephesians one and two and throughout the rest of the new Testament, but Ephesians one and two, especially talk about union with Christ. Mm-hmm. Like that is the huge gift because Jesus has what we need in order to enter into God's presence. And so if he has that and we don't, but if he is representing those whom he has died for, then if he's representing you, then that means you are in Christ and he's, and God looks upon you as lacking sin and having the perfect righteousness required. Only if you're in Christ, only if you're represented by him. So, yeah. To- yeah, there's a, there's a term, um, I'm looking for a verse, but the term double imputation. Hmm. Imputation, not amputation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Christ, uh, our sin has been imputed onto Christ, and therefore he atoned it, right? It's imputed to him, yeah. and then his righteousness imputed onto us. Yeah, um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin. Um, that was it. Let me read it perfectly here without um, paraphrasing for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him there's that in him if you're united in christ in him we might become the righteousness of god so he made the one who knew no sin to become sin so therefore the sin's taken care of so that if we are in him we might become the righteousness of god there's the righteousness taken care of amen okay so let's talk about the, the two prominent um denials mm-hmm. of this you want to take that first one or you want me to um sorry rob i gotta look at the, the notes yeah you, you gotta track along you gotta track along the notes i don't know how to track um yeah you go for the first one i'll take the second one because i don't i'm just listener you gonna pick me on the curtain here how good this is <laughs> all right um yeah i think these are two divided things but I haven't read them through yet. So you take the first one. Okay. So the first one is um, Steve Chalk or Chalky, maybe messing that last name up. Um, Steve, if you're listening and you probably are, um, just email me how to pronounce your name, which by the way, Fruge Photo, thank you so much for your, um, not only for your support, but also for letting me know how to pronounce your name because I knew I butchered that and you sent me a link which helped. Uh, um, how to pronounce Fruge. And so I believe I'm saying it correctly now. So anyways, Steve Chalky, if you could send me a link like that on how to pronounce your last name, that'd be great. <laughs> so a um, prominent, this guy, Chalky, I'm just going to go Chalky. Um, cool. A prominent Baptist pastor in London. He published a, a book in 2003 and it's called The Lost Message of Jesus. So in that, um, he denied that we should understand Christ's death in terms of this penal substitutionary atonement. So he's, he's denying penal substitutionary atonement in this book, The Lost Message of Jesus. But his main argument um, was that that understanding, penal substitutionary atonement, was inconsistent with the love of God, which is also the same argument made by liberal scholars in previous generations. So here's what he wrote. Um, he said, how then... Have we come to believe that at the cross, this God of love suddenly decides to vent his anger and wrath on his own son? The fact is that the cross isn't a form of cosmic, or the fact is that the cross isn't a form of cosmic child abuse, a vengeful father punishing his son for an offense he has not even committed. 
That's what Chalky says. So he's saying that if you believe in um, penal substitutionary atonement, then you are essentially embracing cosmic child abuse. And so he said it was a twisted version of events. It was morally dubious and was a huge barrier to the faith. These are things that Chalky said. Um, and then he says such a concept stands in total contradiction to the statement, God is love. And it makes a mockery of Jesus's own teaching to love your enemies and to refuse to repay evil with evil. So he doesn't address a lot of verses that, um, that Grudem lists out here in bearing the wrath of God. Um, and so he, he kind of just takes this idea that God is love and because God is love, therefore he would never engage in, um, pouring out his wrath on his perfect child. That would be, in his words, cosmic child abuse, which is similar to what these other, other guys say um, that, Rick, you can dive into. Yeah, so um, I'm actually going to just kind of comment real quick on what you're saying. Yeah, and go for it. And the other stuff about how <clears throat> this idea that, that God is love is true, and that it forced to forgive our neighbors or those who sin against us. The question is, if God's commanding us to forgive, then there has to be uh, a means by which we can forgive, right? Yep. So someone were to murder my wife, the Lord commands me to forgive that person. I cannot do that apart from some divine work. Like I can't, I don't, I can't think enough good thoughts or have enough good vibes sent my way hmm. to do that. Like that's, it's through the work of God, the work of Christ. Yeah, man. So it's like he's saying, well, you need to be obedient to Christ, but then chopping off the very means by which you can be obedient to Christ, the, the, the union with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, so next one in the 2000, which hard of the year 2000 was uh, 21 years ago. Years ago. Um, there's a New Testament professor, Joel Green, and a um, theology professor, Mark Baker, who warned that the view of the cross as a penal substitution has been constructed by persons within and, without, and outside the church. Um, and they kind of expound upon the whole divine child abuse idea. They explained that the most adamant objection to the atonement theology understood popular, popularly excuse me, as penal substitution have come from feminist theologians because they see it as the abuse of the perfect child. So this, again, this idea that um, the, the Lord or like God's a, an evil, per well, first the idea that Jesus is not God, right? So there's a denial of the Trinity first mm -hmm. and foremost in these denials of this claim that's divine child abuse. Um, but also this idea um, that it, this is really, you know, uh, an anti-love um, or, or it's more of a anti-nurture idea. Both, we would say, um, are, are wrong. One, because the scriptures do not say that. Um, but two, also because, as we see throughout even the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, like there is a price to be paid for sin. Um I don't have the article in front of me, but Mez McConnell has written a few articles and done a, uh, some lectures through their ministry at Nidri Community Church in 20 Scheme about um, Genesis 22. And this is the story of Abraham taking Isaac up to sacrifice. And he talks about how if you just read that passage, like it just sounds awful, right? Mm -hmm. This guy who heard from God is now going to go like cut his, like 
murder his son to sacrifice him. Um, but his, in the article, Mads McConnell's point is that A, Abraham, he has a lot of points, but I'm going to summarize A, Abraham has consistently heard from the Lord, and Abraham has faith in the Lord, and that Abraham believes that the Lord will provide. So, just going to read a portion of this, um, Genesis 22, verse 7. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, I lost my spot. This is really good. Nicely done. I know. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. The reality is for us as believers is we all deserve to be sacrificed for our sin. Right? That's our punishment to pay. But Christ, the perfect lamb, second Adam, has sac- has been sacrificed for us. Yeah. And if we have a view that meant God's just vengeful and angry, He's just uh, abusive. Then you're you're obviously you've missed all of God's nature and and who He is throughout all of Scripture. Because mm-hmm. Scripture is a story of redemption, of a father paying the price and bringing back his people, his children. Um, usually, the issue, rather, when people deny the substitutionary atonement or, or PSA, is that they do not. Like the idea that their behavior was so sinful and wrong that Christ had to die for it. Hmm. Now, in this article from uh, Mez McConnell, he talks about how people who, who have had a lot of child abuse, who have been abused a lot as children, or they've witnessed a lot of child abuse, they might, if someone presents this incorrectly, they might hear that like, wow, God's just like, he had to kill his son so that other people and they might um, miss all that. But the reality is if, if you're preaching or teaching or sharing the gospel, right, uh, about the goodness of God, his salvation plan for his people and how Christ was the atonement for us. I mean, it's a beautiful picture of redemption and the hope for everyone who has suffered much. Our hope is not that eventually humans will stop abusing people our hope is that christ will set all things right yeah yeah amen so we see what penal substitutionary atonement is we see some folks denying it steve chalky and joel green and mark baker um, both kind of pulling from that divine child abuse or cosmic child abuse idea and so now we have the question of was or is penal substitutionary atonement is it necessary so this idea 
Yes. Is it a necessary one based off of what we see in the scriptures? And um, I usually I usually get frustrated when people say um, yes and no, because then I'm like, okay, here comes a political answer. But that, that's the answer for this. Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. It's and so, not political. Yeah. Um, so to explain, no, it's not necessary because God could have chosen not to save us in the same way that he chose not to save the fallen angels. You see that in First Peter 1, 12. So when the angels fell, God chose not to show them grace, not to redeem them. But when man fell, he has chosen to do that. And so no penal substitutionary atonement wasn't um, necessary in that God could have chosen not to redeem mankind. Therefore, in penal substitutionary atonement never would have happened. But as soon as he decided that this was going to happen, and we don't have to get into the superlapsarian, infralapsarian, all that stuff. But as soon as he decided that he was going to redeem mankind, yes, penal substitutionary atonement becomes required because it is the only thing that can satisfy God's love and God's justice in order to, so the big argument that um, Chalky, Green, and Baker were making is that it's not loving it's not consistent with God's love. The reason why I would exercise um, wrath mm-hmm. on someone who is trying to harm one of my children or my wife is because of how much I love my children and my wife. Like the, the wrath is the other side of the same coin of right. love. If I love someone to such a degree, um, you can almost think of it I think it was Lehman that I heard describing it this way. But if you think of a um, skyscraper as to how high in the air that building goes, it also has to go very deep into the ground to, in order to ensure that that skyscraper doesn't fall over. It has to have a deep foundation. And so if God is going to, to love in the way that he loves, there has to be something that pours out against that which harms that which he loves. So he hates sin because it harms his creation. Um, It brings death. And so therefore, um, the fact that we are sinful people, someone had to bear God's, the full measure of God's wrath in order to fully pay for the punishment that comes from sin. If you sin against an eternal God, there is an eternal punishment that has to take place. And if a temporal or non-eternal individual bears that punishment, then it will go on for eternity because they can never pay for it. However, if you give the eternal son of God, if you put him in that place who is eternal, he can bear an eternal punishment because his nature is eternal from both ends. So therefore he can take that punishment in full and then he can move forward. Whereas we would never be able to move forward from it. We would for eternity be under God's punishment. However, because Christ is perfectly righteous, he can bear the punishment. And then for all those who are in him, they can have their punishment um, bore by Christ born by Christ, however you're supposed to say yeah. that. So yeah. it not only satisfies God's love, but it also satisfies his justice. Because if he were to let the wicked go free, he would not be just. He would be an unjust judge. 
And so it satisfies his justice in that he's um, bringing just punishment, uh, the full measure of the punishment that the, the transgression requires. And it satisfies his love because it shows the other side of his love and that is wrath. And so he's saying, I'm going to provide a ram. I'm going to provide a perfect lamb. I'm going to provide someone to stand in your place because of how much I love you so that this punishment can be paid in full and you can go free. What, um, I'm just thinking, the, guy, the people who object to this, like you listed their names and stuff, do they give a, a defense for what they say does atone for sin or, or how sinful beings can be um, united with a perfect holy God? Or do they just diminish God's holiness and say, God, God's God, he can just, he'll just say, eh, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. okay. Um, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They probably do. I don't have it in front of me, though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. And But I, the, the rationale I've heard, and I don't, I don't want to put words in these guys' mouths, but people who do generally deny this atonement, they would say, well, God for, just forgives. He has that ability, or, or he just you know kind of dissolves, abstains, whatever. And if, you, if, if that's how God's operating, then... There's been, there has been no um, either sin isn't that serious or God's not that holy, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, because uh, you know we we know Scripture says in Romans six, the very end of Romans six talks about the wage. It says verse twenty three of Romans six, for the wages of sin is death. So they either they have to deny that they have to say okay, well the, the wage of sin really isn't death. It's hmm. maybe discomfort or you know sickness, but not death. And that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So if they then deny that second part, that it's a gift, right? So they say, well, maybe you do something to earn it. It's not a gift. Um, and yeah, I mean, life's found in Jesus Christ more as a metaphor than a reality because you start denying that's the wage of sin. Hmm. Um, then you start have to, you have to then deny the reality that, that God through Christ Christ can secure eternal life. I mean, and so you're you begin to really get in some just heresy right off the bat when you yeah. start denying um, the atonement of Christ. Yeah, for our sin. Yeah, and that's the thing that that's the whole um, R.C. Sproul rant where he says, "What's wrong with you people?" If, I, if I'm remembering that right, it's because someone asked, "Does it seem?" just that God would give an eternal punishment, um, eternal torment to someone for sinning one time. And R.C. Sproul's is like, what's wrong with you people? He's like, seriously, like, you, do you not realize the holiness of God? How holy he is? And for us to have the audacity to rebel against him? Like, we've, we've blasphemed against a an eternal and holy being that created us and is the one who puts breath in us and for us to turn our back against him. You are like, like we just view, we view sin so lightly. Um, And and so he kind of goes off, which is um, it's enjoyable to watch because he's not yelling at at me in that moment, even though (laughs) it could easily have been me. Um, But yeah, I would encourage you to check that out on YouTube. Look up RC Sproul. What's wrong with you people? But anyways, so let's look at some verses. Um, so Romans 3, 25 to 26. So we can go through these pretty quick. We're already yeah. over a half an hour here. So um, Romans Jeez. 3. You know, time flies when you're talking about your grass. <laughs> that's right. Yard. 
when you're talking about eternal torment. Um, Romans 3.23. Uh, no, not 323, 325, 326 says this, God presented him, Jesus, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just, that's God satisfying his justice, and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. It's talking about Jesus being um, the perfect sacrifice, the one who is presented as the mercy seat. Yeah. One of the, one of the arguments, one of the elements of um, substitutional or penal substitution atonement, substitutionary atonement, is that Christ had then to become like us. And Hebrews uh, 2, chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. So we see that, that gift that Christ became like us. We knew, as we said earlier in the episode, that passage out of uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that Christ, he knew no sin. So he didn't become like us, like taking on our sin or living a sinful lifestyle. He never sinned. He was sinless, but he struggled. He lived in the flesh perfectly so that he could atone for us. Yeah, that's good. And um, just a quick note earlier, I, I just quoted uh, Romans 3, 25-26, and calls Jesus the, the mercy seat. Other translations may call that uh, the propitiation or atonement. And so a lot of these things can be used synonymously. But um, let's look at 1 John 4.10 now, which says... Love consists in this, and now we're talking about God's love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Again, some translations will say propitiation there, but we see scripture backing up that Jesus did come to atone or to propitiate our sins, to take away God's divine displeasure toward us because of sin and to to pay for that so that God could look on us with divine favor. Again, here we go in Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He, in our stead, bore what we, the curse that we were to take for us and that redeemed us. Hmm. Again, uh, people, the argument that, well, this isn't loving. Well, how is it not loving that Christ, that God, send, God the Father, sent his son to die to redeem people hmm. to himself, then resurrect his son and spend eternity together? And yeah. I, mean, I just don't get that. Yeah, stood in our stead. And there's that mm-hmm. substitutionary. Praise God for that. Um, Hebrews 9.28 so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So we see Jesus, he bore sins. He stood in the place of, he atoned for the sins of many. First uh, Peter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. This idea that Christ has, and, and Paul deals with this in Romans, um, Romans 6 and 7, 
This idea that we've been redeemed just so we can do what we want. That is not why Christ has redeemed us. He's redeemed us to give us life, and that life looks like us living for righteousness. Yeah, yeah, amen. And then uh, last verse here, second, and there, there's other ones you could find, but for sake of time. This is the last verse ever. <laughs> yeah, Second um, Corinthians 5, 18-21, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only through Christ that we can have this message of reconciliation. It's only through him that we can be reconciled, and we can be reconciled only because our sin has been paid for by another, and we have acquired a righteousness that is not our own, but it's a, it's a perfect righteousness. I love that passage. Yeah. It's so because good. of our reconciliation that we then plea, be reconciled to God. Yep. And amen. Awesome. So hopefully as we've kind of expanded on these things, talk about penal substitutionary atonement, you see the gospel. You see the reality of our need for a savior and what Christ has done to save, uh, to save us. And that should create deep um, affection in your heart for the Lord, uh, just a great humility and as we are pleading, be reconciled to God, it is never from a position of, I'm now right, and I'm the, you know, look at me, I've, I've reconciled myself to God, you should too. Hmm. Um, but, rather, but rather, Christ has reconciled us. He has come after us. Um, he has redeemed us and adopted us in, as Ephesians 2 um, lays out for us. And so we share that message with great passion and fervency and with great humility. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, if you um, like what you heard, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever Give you listen to podcasts. Give us a podcast. six-star rating. That would, be, that would be really helpful for us. Um, it really does help the show. So um, if you haven't done that, please consider it. Um, also, you can head over to simpletheology.org where you can send us an email at info at simpletheology.org if you have any topic suggestions or you can support us by clicking on the support tab up there um big thank you to chris hall love that guy um they recently just uh, supported us so i gotta um i want to get together with him chris if you're listening man if you're in westerville let's go to the pancake house love that place anyways you know where he lives no, so they were in, in Pennsylvania for a little bit. Um, I don't know if they're still there or not, okay. but I'm going to find out. But yeah. Chris, if you're in Mount Vernon, <laughs> tell you what, let's go to the pancake house. <laughs> There's no pancake house in Mount Vernon. Um, there will be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you we can also uh, shoot us a call, 614-233-1098. Again, 614-233-1098, where you can leave a voicemail. And if you want to hit us up on social media, we're at facebook.com slash simple theology. We're on Instagram at simple theology pod. And you could also use the hashtag simple theology pod. So probably forgetting something, but there's a lot there. A lot. It's a lot. Hope you guys enjoyed just, it. Just Google Rob Kane. You'll get all that stuff. No, you probably won't. But anyways, peace I'm out. i you right now. Peace. peace.